Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Good evening and welcome to the CNBC special Taking Stock. I'm Frank Holland. Jim Cramer has the night off. What a difference a day makes. A new week on Wall Street off to a very strong start with stocks surging today coming off the worst weekly declines for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq in nearly two months. Microsoft, the biggest driver for the Dow, surging another three plus percent, continuing its rally since announcing the new Bing search engine with chat GPT. Tonight as the AI wars heat up, we're going to break down what's behind the AI boom and why regulation may soon be on the horizon. Plus, all eyes on tomorrow's CPI report. We'll break down what it means for your money, and we'll talk to a Duncan bigwig about how the company got Ben and Jen and their first-ever Super Bowl ad. It was a good one. But first, let's bring in Mike Santoli to dig into today's rally. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Frank. You know, volumes were light, but the price action was pretty sturdy. The S&P 500, as a matter of fact, today regained everything lost last week, almost to the point. Uh, so obviously some resilience ahead of that CPI report. You mentioned Microsoft. Uh, calm, longer-term Treasury yields allowed some of the big growth stocks to perform well. The Nasdaq up a percent and a half on the day. Microsoft, as well as Meta, benefiting not just from lower bond yields, but also from this sense among analysts that they have a clear sight to raising earnings estimates because of a bunch of initiatives, cost-cutting only one among them, as well as that chat GPT stuff. Another theme in the markets today, a strong consumer discretionary, especially housing-related stocks. Home builders up more than 2% as a group. Home Depot is a big contributor to the upside. Things like Sherwin-Williams, Stanley Black & Decker as well. So this idea we have wage growth, we have a strong jobs market, bond yields, mortgage rates not yet standing in the way of a rebuild of housing demand. Kind of interesting. Of course, energy to the downside, as was Tesla taking a break, though it still is up 58% year to date. So that CPI number tomorrow, pretty high stakes, although bond yields have already been going up in the last 10 days or so. So maybe we've prepared for the potential of a hot number and more Fed hikes to come, Frank. Certainly a lot to watch there. Mike Santoli live for the New York Stock Exchange. Mike, thank you very much. For more on whether this rally has any staying power, let's bring in Tom Lee, head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tom, great to have you here. Great to see you, Frank. So, Tom, Funstrat, you put out a note last night talking about the Super Bowl and kind of comparing the markets to the Super Bowl. So I have a question for you. We're going to keep that metaphor going just for a moment. Should investors right now in 2023, should they be on offense or defense? And who's going to win this thing, the Bulls or the Bears? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think investors need to be playing offense, which is by the dips since October. Uh, it does seem like most people have a different playbook 
you know, thinking that this is a, a bear market rally that they need to fade. But as, as Michael pointed out, you know, today's a great example. Uh, the market kind of was a little leaky the last couple of days and it regained all of that loss today. All right, Tom, you're one of the best known bulls on the market. So let's go to the scoreboard on this one. We saw where the S&P closed at today at just about 41.40. What's your S&P price target for the year? Uh, we've got 47.50 for the end of 2023. And I know people might roll their eyes and saying, well, everyone says the markets will be flat. Uh, but one thing people have to keep in mind is, Frank, I know you love stats, too, especially because I know you played football. Um, when the S&P by day 26, which was last week, is up more than 5%, 71% of the time, the market advances to more than a 20% gain. In fact, 16 of 17 times, the market is higher from that day into the end of the year. So the odds really favor the market strengthening from here, even though people think we're peaking. I mean, I don't know what CPI brings tomorrow, right. but uh, I, I would say 4,800 is conservative. Okay. You're a little, almost some technical analysis there, Tom. I don't really know you for that. Just to be clear, uh, your <laughs> S&P target is about a 15% upside from the close today. Um, so far this year, we've seen tech and consumer discretionary really leading the market uh, in 2023 so far. What do you see for in the near term for the rest of February? Can we keep this rally going for the rest of this month? I know how you feel about the rest of the year, but what about the rest of this sure. month? Sure. Well, uh, you know, February is tricky, actually, um, because, uh, you know, January is so strong, you know, in the past, when you have a strong January, you kind of borrow from the following month. So February might be a little choppy, which is what we're seeing. But I think that investors, depending on which playbook they have, have to look at that as whether they're buying that pullback, uh, which we'd recommend. And, you know, we, we do think the leadership this year is FANG, which really is tech and consumer discretionary. Right. So last year, inflation was really the theme of the market, the, the impact of inflation and the rising dollar. So far this year, the big theme has been AI. Do you see AI continue to have such a big impact on the market going forward, whether it be what Google's up to, what Microsoft's up to, or what potentially Amazon could be up to? Uh, yeah, AI, AI is a pretty big deal. I mean, obviously, the extreme AI is pretty scary because, you know, we don't want to have um, machines decide they don't need humans. But AI is solving so many problems because... As we know, around the world, there's a shortage of labor and a shortage of, of people who can do uh, and complete a lot of tasks and information that now things like ChatGPT and BART are, are capable of doing. So I think it's a real productivity solution, and it's allowing people to make better decisions, which, as we know, um, is something that we would actually consider to, to add a lot of value. I mean, it makes every human in America capable of making better decisions. I, I just think that's additive to GDP and to the equity markets. Tom, that was a big swing. You started off with like a Terminator scenario, then it came to a positive note. Appreciate <laughs> your insight as always. Fun stress, yeah. Tom Lee. Thanks for being here. All right, Thanks, today's Frank. market rally coming ahead of a key inflation reading tomorrow. Investors and the Fed will be closely watching tomorrow's January CPI report for any signs on whether the current rate hike strategy is still appropriate. Joining me now is Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG. Diane, great to have you here. Good to be here. All right. So looking at the estimates right now, um, headline CP, CPI is forecasted to, to rise by 0.4 percent year over year inflation, 6.2 percent. What does that mean for the markets and what does that mean for the Fed? 
Well, the good news is that it's cooling. The bad news is that it's still too hot for the Fed. This is not the porridge is just right in the Goldilocks scenario. And I think that's the most important message. And we've already seen that with the revisions to the seasonal factors back in the fourth quarter. We saw that inflation ended the year with more momentum than the Fed liked, especially in core inflation. And I think that's very important. There was a sort of sense that maybe we could get to the soft landing without the Fed having to go too far with inflation coming off more rapidly. One thing the Fed has always pushed back on is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And in fact, the push from getting inflation from that 9.1% peak we saw in June down to 6.5% and then down to sort of four, four and a half percent range, that was going to be the easy part of it. The hard part of it was getting it so that, especially at core level, was no longer distorting our decisions and back to the two percent range. Now, in the CPI, that's a little warmer than that. But still, this is a tough slog to go from where we're at down to inflation not being a big influence on all of our decisions. Yeah, I mean, inflation, obviously, again, as I mentioned before, kind of the theme of last year. I want to talk to you about a pause or a pivot and the possibilities. I'm not going to keep the alliteration going, but a lot of people took Jay Powell's comments uh, just, I believe it was last week, as a sign that the Fed may be shifting his strategy. Did you read it that way as well? I think that there is a lot of optimism that the Fed may be in the process of thinking that, but I don't think that's what's going on. I mean, he stuck to the script in terms of, you know, we're going to stay the course and that they still see doing too little in terms of rate hikes as a greater risk than doing too much. And I think that's unfortunately where we're at. And given the revisions that we've seen to the CPI data and the seasonals that, you know, it was a bit of a head fake that we saw as much cooling as we did. That confirms to the Fed what they're worried most about, and that's hitting too high of a floor on inflation and getting a more persistent inflation and one that could have a second wave if we have any other supply shocks out there. We've had a lot of good luck recently to get rid of some of the supply shocks that were in the pipeline. It's not that far, though. We've got very tight oil inventories. It wouldn't be hard to have another supply shock that could push things back up. And like I said, getting inflation really down to the point that it's derailed and no longer part of our decisions, that's the Fed's goal. And we're still not there. Yeah, those oil inventories, definitely an interesting data point, especially with China still in the process of reopening, not quite reopened just yet. So we focused a lot on CPI and PCE, metric uh, reports that give us inflation data. But what about some of the other economic reports out there? I'm talking about ISM. Um, of course, last week we had the jobs report, huge blowout number. What are you making about what you're seeing out of those different reports, as well as when it comes to mortgage rates? You know, what's been really interesting is, you know, the ISM services index was actually strong where the manufacturing sector is showing declines. And so we're seeing all these mixed messages out there. And what it is, is an economy, sort of a tale of two economies in many ways, where there are inventories we're having to see discounting by retailers. On the other side of it, in the service sector, we're seeing that vacations just don't end. In fact, they've got a new word, I think it's called blacations, where people take business trips and turn it into a vacation. In fact, travel during the month of January, those people out on vacation outnumbered those on a seasonally adjusted basis for December, which was the highest December on record. So we really are seeing a very sh big shift into services, and that is changing the dynamics of the economy. Coming out of the pandemic-induced bubble in housing, now seeing mortgage rates go back up a bit, that could cut off housing again. It was also interesting that one member of the Fed at least was worried that mortgage rates too low could mean that housing prices don't cool enough 
and rents don't cool enough to bring inflation down going forward, making their job even more difficult. So there really is a, a sort of sense of they really need to push a little harder, get a little further on those rate hikes. And I think the error on the Fed is going to go higher rather than lower on rate hikes. We could see the Fed talking about more than five and a quarter percent. We already had a lot of people whispering about that last week within the Fed system. Well, you know, I'm not going to whisper about this. Blaycation, my new favorite word. I hope it replaces transitory of the word of this year. (laughs) KPMG's Diane Swank, thank you for being here. All right, as we head to break, take a look at shares of Palantir. That stock soaring after reporting earnings after the close. We're going to break down those numbers, and we're just getting started on the CNBC special, Taking Stock. Stay with us. Coming up. Focus is ballooning on aerospace and defense stocks, with increasing scrutiny on intrusions into U.S. airspace, what it means for your money, plus the future of AI, a California congressman weighs in from the thick of the issue, and something to like about Mondays, tech reports with a soft touch, when we return on CNBC. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. All right, welcome back to Taking Stock. One stock we're watching after the close, that's Palantir. The growing interest in artificial intelligence, along with the growth of the company's U.S. commercial revenue and U.S. commercial customers, that appears to be moving this stock higher. CEO Alex Karp, I spoke to him earlier today. He said Palantir uses AI in its work with the U.S. military, but there are many other applications. And a quick look at the numbers here. U.S. commercial-based customers increasing by 79%. U.S. customer revenue growth up double digits. Karp told me in part, quote, We built AI to train the algorithm in the context of an enterprise with technology that no one has, but everyone will need. He added Palantir has received some acquisition interest. Palantir also turning a profit for the first quarter in its history and a strong beat on margin. Palantir said it expects to be profitable for this entire fiscal year. However, revenue guidance for the current quarter and the full year actually below estimates. Got to remember the company's core business continues to be work with the U.S. military. And that leads us to defense stocks that are also rising today as scrutiny increases on intrusions into U.S. airspace. 
The iShares U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, the ITA hitting a new multi-year high today. In the past nine days, we've now downed four separate unidentified objects, and China's tone is growing more defiant. As it now claims, we have sent balloons into their airspace, which U.S. officials are now denying. And it all comes as the president is preparing the largest Pentagon budget in U.S. history. Our Morgan Brennan is here with more on the companies that are likely to benefit from all this. Hey, Morgan. Hey, Frank. So geopolitical tensions continue to mount, which propels military spending, which propels defense stocks. So case in point, you've got the big outperformance of names like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, and HII, formerly known as Huntington Ingalls, last year. We then have seen those same names sell off to start 2023 on the headlines just earlier uh, last month that GOP lawmakers might potentially consider cuts to defense as they look to curtail broader government spending. So analysts say that seems increasingly less likely that that actually happens, given the military strikes that shot down those four high-altitude objects traversing U.S. airspace and Canadian airspace, a series of strikes for which Pentagon officials say they believe there is no peacetime precedent, and which, of course, started with a Chinese-suspected spy balloon uh, earlier in the month. Factoring Ukraine, which accounts for billions of dollars worth of military equipment and replenishments from Raytheon, L3 Harris, and others, more orders from allies. Poland, for example, just approved to buy $10 billion worth of Lockheed Martin-made HIMARS rocket launchers in recent days. And now, thanks to comments from the Defense Department comptroller just earlier today, the expectation that the Biden administration will next month put forth the biggest U.S. defense budget proposal ever. And all of this means the demand picture of defense contractors looks very strong over the coming years. The questions for investors, though, is how quickly that demand actually translates to sales and specifically what type of uh, products and systems and capabilities are now going to be filled by both the DOD and also subsequently allies in the coming years as well. Frank? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of investors are trying to figure that out right now, Morgan. So one question just to bring this all full circle, how does a company like Palantir fit into the broader U.S. defense and investing in U.S. defense? So, of course, and you touched on this, um, Palantir is a big government contractor. It's actually a what is called a software prime, I think, as Palantir would say. Uh, and, and the capabilities of a company like Palantir or really any of the defense tech companies and defense contractors, more traditional defense contractors would call themselves tech companies too. But some of these newer defense uh, tech companies is this use of software, is this use of artificial intelligence, is this idea of data aggregation and analysis. Case in point, just looking at these unidentified objects of the last couple of days, we still don't know their origins. We still don't know their purposes. The Pentagon is still, uh, and the government is still in, in the midst of recovery efforts. But On the heels of that suspected spy balloon from China that was shot down on February 4th, what you did see was um, the radar systems that protect Homeland and North American um, security from from these types of incursions into U.S. and Canadian airspace. You saw all that data be more closely examined, Mm -hmm. and that speaks to this idea of aggregation and analysis uh, of the data. You're just going to see more and more demand for those types of software-focused products into the future. It's actually something I spoke about with former Defense Secretary Mark Esper earlier on our air today, too. But it is uh, it is a demand. It is a type of product that is only going to increase in demand where the Pentagon uh, and our allies is concerned. All right, Morgan Brennan, thank you very much. A lot of investors right now looking at that ITA ETF. All right, coming up here on Taking Stock, two letters with big implications. Why one congressman says 
The time is now to regulate AI. Plus, this software stock climbing nearly 11% today. And could it help push the rest of the group higher? We will reveal this name coming up next. Keep watching Taking Stock. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. All right, welcome back to Taking Stock. It's been over two years since the height of the meme stock craze, but it looks like the fear of missing out is still a key driver for retail investors. So what names are the biggest recipients of our current FOMO rally? Let's bring in Kate Rooney now for more on why AI stocks, they've become a key piece of this, Kate. They have, Frank. Individual investors are very much back in the markets, and they're chasing some of the momentum this year. It's not evenly spread, though. We're seeing the action really concentrated in just a handful of stocks. It's really about artificial intelligence names recently, thanks to uh, some of the recent buzz around this technology. According to Vanda Research, C3AI saw a surge in net inflows last week after Microsoft unveiled some updates to its search engine using ChatGPT, and then Google revealed its own AI chatbot. You can see some of the pace there of retail net buying that really spiked. It is slowing a bit, which typically foreshadows a loss of some of that price momentum. You've also got a lot of uh, inflows and a notable rise in net inflows to some of the small cap AI names. So Big Bear on that list, SoundHound AI, and then also Microsoft and NVIDIA, which could also benefit from some of that AI demand. Tesla, though, consistently the most bought stock by individual investors. Last week, it saw what Vanda describes as unprecedented flows. Tesla alone attracted 24% of single stock net purchases. That was likely an effort to chase some of that momentum and recoup 2022 losses. There's a Tesla Investor Day coming up, which has accounted for some of that. And then Tesla has also been the most traded name among retail traders for 67 days straight. JP Morgan also pointing out a pretty similar trend. They see both older and younger cohorts of retail investors adding to riskier today uh, with buying hitting the highest level Since last summer, as far as what's driving it, you named it, Frank, FOMO. Fear of missing out. Also chasing that momentum. And uh, Vanda also warning that retail investors are especially susceptible and vulnerable right now to some of the negative downside catalysts based on how they're positioned. Back to you. So, Kate, it seems like there's a lot of movements going into AI right now. So that's retail investors. What about the institutional money? Are we seeing the same kind of inflows from what we call professional investors? We Exactly. It is a little bit split. So the hedge funds have been seeing some of the same buying patterns as retail. So they've been net buyers lately. And then overall institutions, though, 
have been on the other side. So that would be things like mutual funds, potentially pensions. They have actually been net sellers in January. So we also got some data from S&P Global that showed the same time retail and hedge funds were buying that momentum. You had some of the institutional money actually leaving the market in January and taking some profit. So it's an interesting split here and a split dynamic in the market. All right. Our Kate Rooney, live from San Francisco. Thank you very much, Kate. Well, the prevalence of AI isn't exclusive to the business community. It's also making its way through the halls of Congress. A growing number of lawmakers are now calling for more regulation into the space as concerns grow over what the future of AI may really look like. One of those lawmakers is California Congressman Ted Lieu, who joins me now. Congressman, thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. So, Congressman, you're on the House Judiciary Committee, which has some oversight of tech. You're also on a subcommittee for the Internet. You're on something I've never even heard of, the AI Caucus. Uh, Give us a sense of the conversations that are going on in Congress about AI, especially when it comes to regulation. Uh, Thank you, Frank, for your question. The best analogy I can have is I think artificial intelligence is like a steam engine right now, which was quite disruptive for society. But in a few years, it's going to become a rocket engine with a personality. And I don't think society is quite prepared for that. You're going to have job displacements. You're going to have new jobs created, some jobs eliminated. And you're also going to have artificial intelligence and lots of things that could benefit society and some things that could kill us. And so we need to make sure that we can harness the benefits of AI without having the harms visit us. All right. So, Congressman, you have actually an op-ed in The New York Times. It's called, I'm a congressman who codes and AI freaks me out. You actually let AI write the first paragraph of this op-ed about your concerns about AI. So it's a bit of a meta, kind of a, a full circle moment here. Um, just give us a sense of the gist of this op-ed and why you felt the need to write it right now. Uh, so as a recovering computer science major, I am enthralled with artificial intelligence. It's definitely made our lives better from the GPS on your phone app uh, to weather predictions to all sorts of systems that you see and don't see that prevent credit card fraud and help protect national security. It is here to stay and it's going to benefit our country. But it's also in things like a car going 100 miles per hour. And if it malfunctions, it can cause a multi-vehicle accident, as happened with a Tesla uh, that was in automated driving mode and suddenly stopped, causing a multi-vehicle accident. So we need to look at how do we regulate AI and what kinds of AI do we regulate? So we're not going to want to regulate the AI in our smart refrigerator, but we want to regulate in facial recognition technology that right now discriminates against people with darker skin. I think we do. Yeah, we're really going to touch on that later in the show, Congressman. But I want to touch on something. I'm, I'm seeing behind you the Baby Yoda uh, figurine or Grogu. I, I want to be politically correct for all the nerds out there. Um, <laughs> it's Grogu. Um, but we do see AI already in our lives. And you, you liken AI to the fourth industrial revolution. You even mentioned steam engines. But we have so much AI in our lives right now. I did a story with Visa just last week. They've been using AI to prevent fraud for about five years right now. What do we really need to be afraid of? You mentioned uh, potential discrimination through facial recognition technology and things like that. Um, that's something that certainly needs to be addressed. But for the broader uh, America, the world, what is it that we need to be so worried about in the future? I'll give you one good example. So ChatGPT right now um, is a free application. Go on the Internet and use it. It can, for example, write essays for you, uh, which will make it very hard for professors or teachers to know if an assignment was written by a student uh, or by a computer. But it can also do things, if there are no guardrails on it, for example, to do hacking. Uh, it would be an incredible tool to hack into all sorts of institutions. 
the founders of ChatGPT put guardrails on that. But you can imagine other countries or perhaps other companies may not want to do that. And then you could have this amazing cyber hacking tool that can break into a lot of people's computers or institutions' computers. So that's one example of harm from AI. Yeah, so some, some definite potential harm there. So you're saying there needs to be regulation. I'm sure you're talking to some of your colleagues there on Capitol Hill. What does regulation look like? Do we need an AI czar? Do we need an AI agency to regulate everything? Are you volunteering to be the czar? I mean, spell out to me what regulation looks like in the United States, where we, of course, have a democracy. We have bureaucracy. We have, you know, a two-party system, probably a lot of disagreements about exactly what needs to be done. So I, I'm not that smart, but I am smart enough to know what I don't know. And so I think the first thing we have to do is to get very smart people who know about AI to look at this issue and then make recommendations. So I'm right now drafting a bill that would create a bipartisan blue ribbon commission to look at what kinds of AI we should regulate and how we would go about doing that mm -hmm. and then to make those recommendations to Congress. All right. So as you're writing this bill, you're hoping that it actually gets passed. If you can make the first recommendation, what would it be? Well, for everyone, I would encourage people to look at AI and then to use it and then to think about the consequences as we project years down the road. Some of these are quite beneficial. So it's going to make a lot of human tasks much more efficient. So we could basically do the same kind of work, the same kind of productivity in a four day work week in the future that we do now. So maybe that's something uh, we should look at. It's also going to take some jobs that are white collar jobs and completely eliminate them. And that's gonna create new jobs. And you should look at, well, what kinds of folks do we need to put in these new jobs? What kind of training do we have to put in? Society hasn't really thought a lot about this yet. And we need to do some deep thinking about what AI is gonna do uh, in the next few years. Yeah, I think this conversation is really just getting started. Thank you so much, Congressman Ted Lou. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right, so what would increased regulation mean for AI-focused companies and how could it impact your interaction with some of your favorite brands? For an inside look, let's bring in Rob Lacazio, founder and CEO of AI software company LivePerson, which develops customer care solutions and chatbots. I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big fan of the chatbots. So before we get into <laughs> that part of the business, um, we have a lot of investors, retail, professional, and otherwise watching. What do investors need to know about AI with all this talk going on in this AI race that seems to be unfolding? I mean, the race is a space race. It's, uh, it's as big a technology change as the PCs in the 80s and the internet in the 2000s. The impact on AI now with ChatGPT and we're seeing large language models, um, the world's gonna change. Like the way we do business, the way we have our personal lives. We saw government, Ted talking about uh, uh, government. It's, the world is changing rapidly now. Yeah, it certainly is a rapidly changing world. You're in your quiet period right now. You have earnings coming up, so you can't talk about your specific business. However, you can talk to the broader yeah. business community, other CEOs, other CIOs, CTOs, and things like that. What would you tell them that they need to know about AI right now beyond the headlines that we have here on CNBC and other outlets? You think about it, eight weeks ago, uh, ChatGPT was released, and we're talking about Google maybe not being around. And when you think about the impact on any business, whether you're a telco or a bank, uh, if you're a CEO and in February you haven't thought about your business plans changing, uh, you may be left behind. And I'm not just saying that as a, as a shock to the system, but there'll be new companies born out of this. And, and the ability to generate different business outcomes with it will change business forever. All right. You've been in AI for a couple of decades. Yeah. Um, 
the congressman kind of compared it to another industrial revolution, the steam engine, which was a dramatic shift in industry and, and American and global life. Can this AI ha- can it have the same level of impact? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest part is that we can take data in our organizations, the Internet data, and we can basically ask questions to a machine and get outcomes. And, and we've been dreaming of it. We, we wanted Amazon Alexa to do this for us. And we wanted Siri and they never got there. And the ability to ask the machine, you know, help me with something, uh, generate something for me new, and to be able to do that with data and these, these new models, these large language models, um, is really going to change the game for everything we're doing in our personal lives right. and business. So we're, we're hearing that AI is going to change industries and even possibly create new jobs. What are these new jobs? Are they all tech jobs and coding and things like that? Are there other jobs that could potentially open up? Look, there's going to be people that are going to have to, they call it tune the models. And so when you take data and you, and you let the model look at it and give outcomes and you can speak to the machines, you need someone to look at the data and, uh, and annotate it and change it. There's going to be a lot of job loss and changes, but that's going to open up opportunities. Um, but I think we're just in like the first inning of that. Even us, we're looking at how do we use this technology? And, and we look at all these different companies out there in the world. I'm thinking about like, how am I going to bank differently? You know, and what does a banker, personal banker look like with this type of technology? So, I mean, you see it in kind of changing the way we do things on a consumer level first or an industry level first. Will it, will it change the way some industries operate, how they hire, how maybe they even source the raw materials? Or are you saying it's going to be we're going to see the biggest impact when I go to the bank or I go to the grocery store? I think it's definitely going to hit the consumer is how do consumers do things that are normally hard in their life, uh, booking travel, changing something in the world. Uh, you know, insurance or whatever, I think it's going to change there. But what the big pack impact is that if I'm a marketer, let's say working at a telco, I could go into the machine and say, generate me a, um, a new campaign, an advertising campaign, create pictures and copy and video. And it can, the machine will generate that based on the data set that says really? this is the best way to do it. Versus today, we have to get a whole team of people and we have to build all that. The machine can generate that now. And that's the most exciting thing. Let me ask you a question. You obviously create AI software that interacts with people. Yeah. How do we know the AI is going to create things that are going to appeal to people? I mean, people obviously have a sense of uh, culture and trends and, and different things. Will the AI be able to learn all those things? It is. And that, that's, that's what ChatGPT did was through natural language. You just talk the way you do and I do. The machine is interpreting that and talking back to me in a way. And sometimes it hallucinates, uh, actually. And, and that's a really? term we use, that the machine gives you an answer that seems so perfect but because you're not an expert in that topic, you don't know it's not perfect. So you can see it today in, in, what, in what's happening. And so you have to be careful with it. And, and, and there are things in guardrails, especially bringing it to companies, that I think if we're going to use it in the right way, we have to bring the guardrails. And, and that's what the next step is. Speaking of guardrails, I, you have a T-shirt on. Yeah, you want to talk about your nonprofit. It's called EqualAI.org. Give us a quick sense of what EqualAI.org is about and why it's needed. So four years ago, I co-founded a nonprofit uh, with a woman called Marion Vogel who worked with President Obama on doing uh, bias training programs for federal government. And we sat down and said, look, if AI becomes pervasive, which it's about to become, um, there'll have to be guardrails with it. And so this organization works with government. She's on the, uh, on the committee that uh, helps President Biden look at this stuff and private industry and figure out how to use this technology so it's not racist, so it's not biased. And that's, she's created a framework, and that organization's done it for everybody. All right. 
really interesting conversation. Again, similar to the congressman, I think we're really just getting started with this conversation. We appreciate you so much for being here. Thank you for your insight. Thanks for having me here, Frank. All right. We're just past the bottom of the hour. Let's bring you up to speed or where the markets ended the day. Stocks rallying ahead of tomorrow's CPI report with the Dow jumping 377 points, the S&P climbing more than 1%, and the Nasdaq leading those gains up nearly a percent and a half and snapping a three-day losing streak. The only sector not coming along for the ride, that was energy. That sector ending in the red today, it is still positive for the year. And we're checking where the futures stand right now. It's very thin trading, of course, at this hour. But here's an early look at the action that we're seeing right now. Bit of a mixed picture. But again, that CPI report tomorrow, a big market mover. Don't go anywhere. There's much more ahead on this CNBC special, Taking Stock. Coming up, a hard landing for software stocks on a Monday surprise. Plus, mahalo. Now make these changes. The latest on activist activity around Salesforce. And Duncan checks in. We wrap a Super Bowl Monday with America's Donut King when we return on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Taking Stock. The rally in software stocks came to a grinding halt last year with the iShares Expanded Technology Software ETF tumbling 36% in 2022. That was compared to the S&P's 19% decline. But can names like Monday.com climbing 11% today after an earnings beat be a sign that 2023 will be a very different story for the space? Let's bring in Jackson Ader, Managing Director for Software Equity Research at SVP, SVB Moffitt Nathanson. Sorry about that, Jackson. I get that one out. A, that's a long one. Um, it's a mouthful. Don't worry it's about it. It's a Frank. mouthful. All right. Thank <laughs> you for being here. I want to start with that Monday.com. Uh, one of the favorite stocks of our own, Jim Cramer. Give us a sense of the earnings beat and if it's a meaningful sign for this entire sector. Sure. Um, so it was a meaningful beat. If you think about the top line, they beat revenue by about 6%, um, grew over 50%, whereas consensus was expecting something uh, closer to 40 and the real big beat, though, was on profitability. Um, most people were expecting a loss of, call it, $20 million, and they didn't come in anywhere near that. They came in at, at, a, at a $14 million profit. Um, the most exciting part, though, I think, for the stock was guidance for next year. Not only the number, but revenue growth for 2023 was much better than what people were expecting. And then the path to profitability uh, much clearer now is what I would say as we kind of look out to 2023 and beyond. So certainly a meaningful beat, not only for the stock, but it, it can say some things about the sector. I want to talk to you about one other metric, but I do want to talk to you about some other stocks. So when we look at a stock like Monday.com, as recently as last year, it was the rule of 40. That's how everybody was judging software stocks like this. And people can't see it, but you're smiling right now. Is this company meeting the rule of 40? And is that still meaningful in today's environment? Okay, um, the rule of 40. Uh, to answer your question simply, no, it is no longer meeting the rule of 40 on a go-forward basis. They did in this most recent quarter. Um, but again, just to remind people, okay, what is the rule of 40? The rule of 40 is if you add a company's revenue growth and their, we prefer, free cash flow margins. Some people choose maybe non-GAAP operating margin. But if you add those two metrics together, and it's above 40%, great, you're a rule of 40 company. Um, it's a crude and arbitrary metric, but if you do some back testing, it 
does have some significance in terms of software returns. <laughs> you don't sound like you believe in it. <laughs> right, right. Now, okay, so Monday no longer, or, or I guess what we should say is, Monday's guidance for 2023 no longer implies that it is a rule of 40 company. Does that matter less today than it did? I think one thing that we learned in 2022 is these fun metrics and uh, you, whether they're SaaS metrics or otherwise, um, are they kind of pale in comparison to some of the sectoral trends or even sensitivity to interest rates? So no, they're no longer rule of 40. Doesn't mean that I wouldn't own that stock today. All right, I got you. So we're just coming out the Super Bowl yesterday. A lot of people call the NFL a copycat league. I think stocks are kind of a copycat league themselves. People see a stock like money.com. I'm looking at the chart right now up about almost 20% year to date. Are there any other competitors to money.com that you think <clears throat> maybe uh, trade at a lower price but are just as attractive? Um, sure. I, if you think about some competitors, we actually, on a like-for-like -like basis, we actually like monday.com the best in this work management collaboration space. And, and the one that we really prefer over at the moment is Asana. Um, for a few reasons. So we should we should probably zoom out a little bit. If you think about what we would expect in software in 2023, if if 2023 turns out to be a year that IT budgets are constrained, um, we would prefer to be in what what we would consider infrastructure software instead of applications. So we'd pref we would think that demand would be more durable for security or monitoring or DevOps, rather than applications where Monday and Asana play. We also would expect that maybe a usage-based or a data-driven revenue model would be better than a seat-based model because Monday.com and Asana sell to technology companies on a seat-based uh, revenue model and people are getting laid off. We would also prefer uh, software right. companies that are more exposed to the enterprise and not small and medium-sized business. Got it, got it. And that's not what Monday.com serves. So Jeff. all of these trends are kind of setting up against Monday and Asana. And yet, we were able mm -hmm. to see Monday today buck those trends okay. and put up a great quarter. But we think that Asana is probably going to get caught in some of those trends because they're in retrenchment mode. Whereas Monday remains in investment mode. Jackson, we got to leave the conversation there. Jackson Nader, Ader, excuse me, I'm going to mess this up. Jackson Ader from SBV, SBB, Moffitt, Nathanson. I was practicing it in my head, Jackson. Great insight. Great to have you here. All right, as we head to break, the NASDAQ soaring today and taking a look at some of the stocks that led that index higher. We're talking names like Illumina, Baidu, and Airbnb, all in the green today. Salesforce also moving higher as five known activist investors reportedly with stakes in the company. What's next for Mark Benioff and CRM? The window for board nominations, it opened yesterday. I'm going to bring you the latest when the CNBC special Taking Stock returns. All right, welcome back. Let's drill down on one of today's winners, Salesforce. It's outperformed since activist investor Starboard Value announced a significant stake starting yesterday. The now five activists in the software giant, they can nominate board members. Salesforce has engaged, but no word on those talks. We do know back in September, Salesforce released targets for fiscal year 2026, and that Value Act CEO was just added to the board. And also from David Faber's reporting, we know Starboard believes that CRM has a subpar mix of profitability and growth. But there are just so many other questions. Ken Squire, founder of 13D Monitor, says 
We shouldn't expect much more public info, but we could see director nominations soon. Issue here is you have to settle with one activist so that they're all happy. The last thing you want to do is settle for a board seat and then have a different activist run a proxy fight. So you're probably not going to settle until after the nomination window to make sure all the nominations are in. The nominee window is open until March 14th. One key thing, SEC rule changes allow all shareholders, even if voting remotely, to just mix and match the slate of directors they vote for. Previously, they were restricted unless they were there in person. This is certainly one we're going to be keeping an eye on. Well, you know what they say. America runs on Affleck. Well, that's not quite what they say. Coming up, we're talking to the president of Duncan to learn more about what led to the company's viral Super Bowl ad campaign with Ben Affleck and J-Lo. Stay with us. Me, Is this friends. what you do when you say you want to work all day? I, I got to go, guys. Grab me a glaze. <laughs> that was one of the most talked about ads from last night's big game that still has social media buzzing. Bostonian and Duncan superfan Ben Affleck started the coffee chain's first ever Super Bowl ad, which even featured a cameo from Affleck's wife, Jennifer Lopez, a.k.a. J-Lo. Let's bring in Duncan President Scott Murphy to get his take on the newsworthy Scott spot. Scott, great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Frank. So I, you know this already, but I used to work in, in Boston. We don't even call it Dunkin' Donuts. I'm from Philadelphia, too. We just call it Dunks. Um, tell me why Dunks wanted to put Ben Affleck in your first ever Super Bowl ad. How did this all come together? Yeah, so you're exactly right, Frank. We're, uh, we're just known as Dunkin'. We're on a first-name basis with America. And one of the beautiful things about our brand is the, the, the loyalty that we have from our consumers. And no one's more loyal than Ben Affleck. He's been a fan of our brand for the last 20 years. Many times people would ask us, is he a sponsor, right? Is he a spokesperson for us? And he hasn't been. But we talked to him at the end of last year, and he's got a new production company called Artist Equity, and we came up with a great idea to do an ad. And then he actually suggested, let's do a second day where he does a behind-the-scenes, hidden camera, and he actually works the drive through So it's an incredible story where he wrote, directed, edited, and actually worked in the store and when it came out that way, it was so authentic that we knew we had to do a Super Bowl spot. Well, he really worked the drive through that's, that's pretty incredible for Ben Affleck to spend a day like that. Um, obviously, this has been a big hit on social media. It's gone a bit viral. Talk to me about how important it is to the Duncan brand to be viral and TikTok, Instagram, and things like that. Why, is, why was this worth it for you? Yeah, it really was worth it. So it, it aired about 24 hours ago, almost exactly now. We got over 4 billion media impressions in that time. We saw our mentions in social media go up by 800%. A couple of people said we broke the internet. The world was just talking about Ben and Jen and Duncan, and that's what we want. Duncan is very much a brand in the fabric of people's lives, and so we want to be in the conversation of America. So you got a lot more social media impressions, but I want to talk to you a little bit about consumer spending. Um, we're seeing a push for more people to go to work, uh, in the office, actually. But at the same time, inflation is really hitting people's wallets and pocketbooks. What are you seeing when it comes to consumer spending right now? And have those patterns changed at all? Yeah, so our business is doing quite well. A lot of people think of Duncan as their morning ritual, and they're unwilling to give that up. But I will tell you, what we talked about in the Super Bowl ad was something called the Duncan Run, right? So buy a medium or larger hotter iced coffee, add a donut for a dollar. It's a great value. And that's how we're trying to give back to the consumers to make sure they've got an option in these times. 
All right, you can't do any commercials here, Scott, but I do want to ask you, I want to play off that just for a second. Are you seeing more value-conscious consumers right now with inflation? Yeah, they're definitely thinking about that. Consumers have a lot of challenges out there in their, in, uh, in their lives with the economy and everything that's going on. We think we've got a great value proposition delivered at the speed of Duncan, and we've been very happy with our results to start the year. All right, Scott, I'm going to ask you the question I think everybody's asking after they saw that commercial. When's Matt Damon doing one? <laughs> I know. The artist equity company that Ben and Matt started, incredible organization. And I'd just say stay tuned on what might happen in the future. All right. Dunkin' Donuts, I, you know, I've been a frequent visitor. I've had many a dozen and a half dozen myself when I lived up in Boston. Scott, great to see you. Good stuff there. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Frank. All right. That's going to do it for us on this CNBC special. We really appreciate you guys watching. We hope we helped you out with some of your investment decisions and some of the stocks that you may be watching. We're going to come back tomorrow with another special at six o'clock right now. Be sure you stay tuned for Shark Tank. Thanks for watching. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.